Okay, as we take up this psalm, I just want us to begin to look through a, a number of different things. There, there are a lot of pieces in here, and so I would not be able to unpack every single detail in this hour. But I want us to get the flow of thought that's unfolding in this psalm and where it begins and where it takes us and where it goes. So my hope is this, those areas that I brush a little lightly on will stir you up. And you'll say, I want to think more about that. I want to dig into more about that. And you'll start going through the, your Bible, noting down other passages that speak to that, reading that, meditating upon it. That God would take what we hear now and bring it in, in great and broader and deeper measures. What I want us to see is there, there's a full integration of things that is going on in this psalm where he's not only the psalmist here, which is David. He's not only praising God for what he does, which is much. He goes beyond merely what he does and he's praising God for who he is. And he's also recognizing that, that what he receives, the benefits that come to him, are because of who God is. In his greatness, in his person. The design of this, and we shouldn't miss this. When David writes a lot of these psalms, they're not necessarily intended for him to go out in the field and exclusively sing by himself. Many times they're designed so that the saints together would take up this song, consider the words that are being said, and sometimes as we sing these psalms, or as we study them as we will now, we are reminded afresh of God's gracious hand in our life. And I don't want us to miss that. So let us begin by seeing the first thing that, that begins to unfold here. And I would say that with regard to our life, it says this, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. The thought is this. He's speaking about God and his continuing forward in life. God and his continue from here on forward. His only hope that he will survive another day, another week, another year, a decade, whatever it may be. He's not resting in himself, is he? When he starts with those simple words, preserve me. What's, what's laced into that is an absolute acknowledgement of his life's dependence on God. Right? It's right there, plain to see. Now, sometimes we look back on all that God has done. Here he's standing here. He knows he's only made it this far. Because God has been with him. He's brought him along. He's sustained him. He's provided for him. But he also knows that moving forward, not just looking back, but moving forward, every moment of every day, we are in utter dependence upon God. And it's a simple notion, but it's so simple that it just runs away. It scurries away from the forefront of our mind because what happens? ordinary life. And in our ordinary life experiences, most of us, when the day begins, what is our pretty confident expectation? I'll finish class at this time. I'll finish work at this time. I'll be home by this time. We'll eat dinner at this time. 
We'll go to bed about this time. And then the next morning, get up and do it all over again. And, and, and it becomes a routine. It's a routine of experience. And based on the variety of individuals here, some have been doing it a shorter period of time. Some have been doing it an exceeding number of days. Amen, right? But the reality is, however many days it is, who has designed, who has counted, who has marked out the number of our days, who has designed the very details of our experience. We must note this. We are dependent upon God to preserve our life. We are dependent upon God to protect our life. I don't want us to miss this because these things sometimes slide by us. In Psalm 127, Verse 1, there's a very familiar section of scripture. And this is another thing that gets to me sometimes. Those passages that are so familiar that those of us who happen to have grown up in church settings have heard these things so many times that we don't really hear them. It means we hear them with no thought. We hear them and we just give a nod without grasping the gravity and depth of what is being said. It says in Psalm 127 verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And it goes on to say, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Simple notion that is there. Everything that you and I might ever undertake to do, to build, to establish, to guard, to protect, all of it, it's not ultimately in our hands. We know this is also the case the scripture makes clear with regard to war. War is not to the swift. It's not to the strong horse. The battle does not belong to the armor or to the number of mighty men who are gathered. But I might say, and if I was to stop this sentence, which I will, I would expect you might know how to finish it. The battle belongs to the Lord. He's the one who determines the outcome of every single battle. It's astounding for those of you who have been uh, working through some of your uh, uh, monthly re readings. We've just read again of the Exodus. And as they've come out of the Exodus, all the children of Israel have come out. And they've asked the people while leaving, Hey, you mind giving us a bunch of gold and silver and all kinds of your good things? And the people said, Sure, we'd love to. And they gave them all of these things. And they walk out which itself is a tremendous miracle. Read on that. So they walk out as if the victors in battle who have plundered them. But as they go out and as they've journeyed on, what happens to Pharaoh? Why did I let these people go? What was I thinking? We need these people. We're getting them. Gather the soldier. Gather the warriors. Gather the army. Let's go get them back. And they set out. Not just in a normal way with chariots. So you've got others, a bunch of men, women, and children laden down with, with what worldly goods they had as well as the abundance that they've just taken from the people of Egypt and they're going they're not equipped for war they're not prepared for battle they, you get the sense that the scripture says that they they see them coming 
and they're overwrought. They're filled with fear. Whatever you may visualize in your mind, looking back and they see the dust from the trail flying up as the chariots are coming. And, and they hear the sound like thunder as it thumps. And they're thinking, we're done. But God says, do not worry about this. Here, here's what their responsibility in this particular battle was going to be. Be silent. That was their responsibility. Shut the mouth. No more of that. No complaining. No, no doubting. No, you're not even going to have to fight. God is taking care of this. And I can imagine that they're singing, okay, what does that look like? And as they stand there and as they see this crowd approaching, what happens? Many of you may know that pillar of fire that was leading them, it relocates and it gets between the two of them. And then God has uh, Moses lift the staff and he opens up the sea so that it's dry ground. They pass all the way through. The fire moves out of the way. The Egyptians follow them in. Their chariots are muddied up, messed up, clogged up. The water closes over them. An absolute victory over Pharaoh and his great army. And they fought not a man. All God. God brought them out. God delivered them from slavery. God protected them. I mean, the, what we've got, I want us to get this into mind because this is so often a picture of even our salvation, how He set us free from sin in Christ, that it's such a complete picture. When they come over, can you visualize these people standing on the shore of the Red Sea looking back? We did it! We got them! Good job, good job. Is that happening? I sure hope not. What would they rightly be doing? God, you did it. All of you. Now, what they, what they may not off understand is even when they've gone into a battle, they've pulled the sword, they've shot the bow, they've engaged toe to toe in battle and come out victorious. What they may not note is even on that occasion, their victory is absolutely entirely of God. See, when he, do, when he does not give us a role, we recognize it's all of God. But sometimes when he gives us a role, he gives us a responsibility, we miss the reality of our absolute and utter dependence upon God. Don't miss it. In the simple things, even as Jesus was giving that exemplary prayer to his disciples, give us this day our daily bread. Now, we might not tend to say that because we say, already got a loaf. Already got the sandwich meat. Everything. We've got plenty already at home, not only for today, but some people... Uh, are a little bit hoarders, and some people uh, store up. And, and it, that's the case. Some people store up for earthquakes out west where I'm from, or they store up for, for fires or days without electricity, they store up diesel for generators, and they think, yeah, I'd be good. You know, if a, new, if a red dawn event happened, I'd be good for a couple weeks. You know, that's the thought that goes through our mind. But it, the, so... 
So we might think, well, to say give us this day our daily bread would be weird because it's already sitting there. Well, the sense of it is to note what? My very basic survival and sustenance this day is dependent on God. Don't, we can't lose sight and mustn't lose sight of that. And the psalmist does such a great job here in noting these things. It says, it reminds us that all of the various things that we face, all of the things that we experience, they are all of God. Isaiah 45 verse 5 to 7 says this. God speaking through the prophet to the children of Israel reminds them of these basic truths. I am the Lord and beside me there is no other beside me there is no God I equip you though you do not know me that people may know from the rising of the sun uh, and from the west that there is no God beside me I am the Lord and there is no other I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. I mean, I, I, we, we can't lose sight of that because too often the world presents this mixed notion of dualism. Light versus dark. Good versus evil. God versus the devil. And, 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 and we present it as this, this sort of eternal struggle. But in the end, uh, we know that God will win. Finally. Well, all right. So God's going to win the war. You please tell me, how many battles is he going to lose along the way? We say, well... None. So when the children of Israel, and they will, they will continue to go into the wilderness, and they will find themselves without water. Who has led them to a place with bitter water, undrinkable water, or no water? Who led them? Yes, because they traveled only as the pillar of fire or cloud pillar of smoke by day would lead them. When it would go, they would go. When it would stop, they would stop. And it would sometimes take them places where there's no food. There's no water. And so what should they do? You and I know very well. This is simple. God can give food easily. He can give bread from heaven. Can't he? One of the prophets is, at one point was fed as the birds themselves would deliver his meals. God would bring bread from heaven. They complained that they didn't have meat. And God brought so much meat that they could not even begin to eat it. Knee deep as far as they could walk. Quails everywhere. Till they ate themselves sick. And, and so you just get, we remember this, all, all of the things, and don't miss this, some of us again doing our, whoever's doing the readings in the church, we've been, not only Exodus is one of the readings, but Job. Many of us know of Job's circumstance, right? When that book begins, he was extraordinarily blessed by our standards. He had family, 
houses, land, property. The man had it all. Correct? And then what happened? God said to Satan, have you considered Job? So who drew Satan's attention to Job, might I ask you? And Job, uh, Satan then in that interaction acknowledges to God, well, see, here's the problem. I got no power. I can't do anything to him. You've got me hedged off. Because there's not an eternal power between battle between God and Satan. You know, because that would be like, as I oft described, that'd be like a battle between you and an ant. I'm convinced you would win most often. Right? Bring it on, little auntie. You know, how, how long would it take you to defeat that bat, that, in that battle? I mean, you don't see that televised pay-per-view event, man versus ant. Why? It's done, finished, just like that. Da -da -da, boom. So, the, but I can't overstate this. God's strength and power is so great and so much more that the difference between you and an ant is way too small a comparison between God and all that's created, including the enemy. Powerless. And so then God gave permission. You could take all that he has, but you can't touch him. So Satan could not touch anything he had until it was God's will and design in his life. But then Satan still didn't have the power. He could go at him all he wanted, but he wouldn't be able to get to Job. Then God says, when he's proved faithful in that, okay, you can touch him. But you can't take his life. And so in each thing that we would look at and say that's bad happening in his life. Yes, the enemy was the agent of the bad. But there is one who is a sovereign power over all the events in creation. And that is our great God. And it's all designed for our good. It's designed to, to lead us to greater dependence. It's designed that we would be people of humility and endurance and faithfulness. God has his perfect designs. And by the end of Job, Job learns it. Job realizes. You know, I'd heard of you with the hearing of the ears. But there is a sense in which all he had heard about God was way too small. And I'll be honest. Right now we know in part... It tells us in 1 Corinthians 13. All that I can say to you. All that you can log on and listen to online anywhere by anyone. It's not enough. God is greater than this mind will, can presently conceive. And than this mouth and these lips can, can somehow pronounce. He's greater than that. He's more powerful than that. And we cannot miss that. And so the design of great darkness, great difficulty, great trial that was experienced by Job. We sometimes think to ourselves, why? Why? And this is what he did after a while. He initially started out so sweetly, but as the chapters unfold, you see him starting to say, I don't know if a uh, I don't know if this is quite right. I think I deserve better. Uh, well, 
we also start to ask why, why, why. But I remind you of this. The secret things belong to God. The revealed things belong to us and to our children. So why we may not get the answer to why until we stand before him. What it accomplishes, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So we can trust the wise, good designs of our great God. But instead of always asking why, even the psalmist pleads so many times, why to God? And then why to himself? Why are you cast down on my soul? Hope in God. He, he says, but instead of that, what I encourage you to say, remember is who? Who is in control of it all? Who is accomplishing all his purpose. From where the sun rises to where it sets. In every detail. As it tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. He works all things after the counsel of his will. Isn't that a great God? Oh. And so, so whatever may happen. Whatever may come. You will find in your life. And some have recently faced. Things in their days that they would have never scripted. And things that they themselves never even imagined might come and might happen. And yet there is the confidence that we can sit back and say God is at work. God is fulfilling his purposes. He is the one I look to, pre to preserve. And, the, and then he goes on. I like what he says. Is, For in you I take refuge. There is refuge. There is peace in knowing He's in control. My God has not lost control for how long? In all of eternity, how long is the period of time where God lost control? Not. How long is the time he looked the other way and was just too busy to attend to something? See, that's the way people, our thoughts about God become too human too often. Let us remember, he is such a glorious and great God. So that Job ultimately says this. In Job 23, he also says these wonderful words. He is unchangeable. Who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are on his mind. That confidence he has. Yeah. God is in control. He's going to complete what he's appointed for me. I don't know how long these difficult days are going to last. But they're going to last as long as he's designed. And then they're going to end. I don't know how many days I'm going to live. But I'm going to live as many as he's designed. And I know this ought to be since everything is by his design. Then what I ought I do. Look to him. Take refuge in him. Trust, I trust you, God. You are wise. You are good. You are sovereign. And if somehow my suffering will serve to your praise, if my loss will serve to your glory's gain, then all for and to you, my great God. Not only is it that God is the one who's absolutely God in our continuing and in, in practical dependence, but God in our continuing and even basic providing. He says this in, in verse 2 of Psalm 16. I say to you, Lord, you are my Lord and I have no good apart from you. Okay, now. 
I want us to just consider this for a moment. We know that we have, we have nothing in our lives apart from him. That, isn't that right? No, nothing. But it's also that simple recognition. You're going to meet people somewhere, sometime, who will sing their own praises. Yeah, they love to announce their own accolades. Have you met such people? You're thinking of somebody right now. Some of you are. And I, you know, don't judge them. It, it's hard in this world and our hearts and minds are complex. Pray for them that God would help them to see who deserves all of our praise and glory. But what I want you to know is this. You are my God. I have no good apart from you. We live in a world where people love to boast in their success, their achievement. You know, I started out as nothing. I come from this background, this home. You know, I worked my way up. Menial jobs as a kid, struggled. Worked nights to get through college. On and on goes the story. Had to drop out of college. Started my own business. Whatever it may be. But look at me now. You know, and it's just like, I, look what I've become. Do you see who I, what I've achieved? Are you not, I mean, note, aren't you impressed? That, that idea begins to stir. You're thinking, well... Kind of, until you started boasting. Uh, but the, but in, in that person's mind, it's, it's, it is often, I did this, through my hard work, because of my smarts, because of my effort, because of my talents, because of me, me, I, me, my, my. That all piles up. Now I am, now I have. Really. Right, I, I want to just... Roll it back to the basics. Can you do a lot if you can't breathe? I mean, I'm not going to run the test. Okay, everybody hold your breath for 20 minutes and then we'll see what we can do. Because that won't work. But what we will notice this. Even the simplest thing of breathing. Who gave breath? Who gives breath to man? Who can withdraw breath from man? And there are many who breathe who cannot stand. There's many who can stand that cannot walk. There's some who can walk but that they cannot run. Is that not right? We're at varying levels of abilities. Various levels of intellectual acumen. All of those things are there. And again, often in a group like this, various levels of intellectual acumen, we often start in our mind, okay, yeah, that's right. If we were to rate the room, let's see, who would be after me? <laughs> yeah. God help us with that. Uh, but the reality is whatever ability we have, musical talent and skill, ability to walk, the job that we've got, that I earned. There's nothing you did all on your own. Every opportunity, every open door, every bit of skill, every bit of strength, everything is dependent on God. Right? Now, what I like about what we've done so far, and some of you are probably looking at your clocks and saying, the guy is in verse 2. And yeah, we'll go faster. Don't you worry. But the, the, the point is this, I, I don't think I've said anything so far that you, that's totally new to you, I hope. And yet, as life goes by, we somehow forget, God, you need to give me strength for this day. 
You need to give me wisdom. You need to give me hard work. And as things go good, God, thank you. God, praise you. Apart from you, I have no good. There's there's no boasting in the flesh. There's no boasting in myself. The only thing that I boast in is that I know the Lord. And even I can't boast that I know the Lord because I only know the Lord because he mercifully revealed himself to me. You know, if it wasn't for God, I would be hopeless. We know we still live in a world where, did you decide where you'd be born? Did you decide who your parents would be? No, and there are people who have been born in remote regions without all of the privileges afforded to us. There are people who have been born in places and many have already lived and died. Still yet never hearing about the salvation that is there in Christ. Which is one of the reasons we pray that God will continue to raise up missionaries to go out with the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? But we, we should not take for granted as we see that need and then we look at ourselves and say, you know what? God brought me in a place where I heard the gospel. He humbled my heart to, to recognize my own sinfulness and unworthiness. He opened my eyes to see the reality and the glory of God in the work and person of Christ Oh, I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. Right? Let us not. That's what, again, to a large extent, he is singing here. God is the one in all of my providing. We remember the basics. John 15, 5, Jesus says, remember, apart from me, you can do nothing. So how much is that? Well counted. It's zero. There's absolutely nothing because the scripture says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Which means with a word could all be done. Which is why that, that, that great hymn that we oft sing, that one written by Martin Luther, speaks of the power of God over the enemy and says, one little word shall fell him. Again, we don't use that language, but you get it. End him. One little word. Our minds ought go at where, we, where we saw a little glimpse of that. You remember, here is Jesus in, in the meekness of human flesh. Coming out of the garden of Gethsemane. Meets these men who have come forward to arrest him. Says in the gospel of John. And they, and they asked him, are you... Are you Jesus of Nazareth? And what is his response? Uh, the translations will say, I am he. Or I am. And what does the scripture tell us? When Jesus said those words to these armed soldiers, what happened to them? They all were cast down backwards. And, and then in the weirdest reset, they get back up and walk forward again and ask the same question. And start, and start the whole, but just, just a moment. Remember, Peter didn't even understand that. He's like, uh, should we fight against him? Don't you know I could appeal to the Father and he would send legions of angels. This is not an issue. God is absolutely in control of all these things. And apart from a legion of angels, have a look. I am. Oh, that we, that we just don't lose that as we think about our God. We're so 
gloriously dependent upon him. Now I want to move on from God and our continuing to God and our companions. So be a little bit briefer. It's pretty obvious, but hopefully you'll see it in the text there yourselves. Because what I'm hoping is you go back today when we're done and you read this psalm and it just thumps your heart. And you're like, yes. Oh, wow. I, I read it with a, with a richer, fuller sense. It says this in verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. It's a simple reality. You know, who I, you know how I really enjoy? You know how I, 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 I just line up with and time with them is, is thrilling and valuable and meaningful? It's God's people. Because we just share the same heart, the same foundation. We understand what life is all about. We understand how so many of these things that the world's running after, that there's no real treasure in them. There's no real value in them. There's no abiding reality to them. It, and so there is this, this stirring up of, I love God's people. They're the ones that I want to spend time with. They're the ones that I want to engage with and, and enjoy. And now, be careful, because this is poetic language. And this is a, a simple hermeneutics lesson mixed into it, because it's important as we learn to read the Bible. The saints in the land, in whom is all my delight. And so now you go ahead and judge him. Huh. So there are your land. Not God, huh? So they're your delight. Not serving the Lord, huh? <laughs> you're not as spiritual as me. Well, that's not what you're supposed to get in this. Again, poetry often speaks in these big, broad strokes so that you would understand that there is richness of great, broad, deep, and powerful joy in the communion of the saints. I mean, it's the kind of thing that I hope some of you experience. You can somehow, you can sometimes go from here. And you can go halfway around the world to India. You can go again down into the southern hemisphere into Mauritius. And you're meeting these people the world over. Totally different cultures. Totally different backgrounds. But somehow as you're having a conversation with them. And as you spend a little bit of time together in worship. You, you feel like, wow, I feel like I'm among friends. I mean, I almost feel like I'm among family. How is that? I've just met these people. But that kind of thing happens. Sometimes God will bring someone. Might drive over from Longview. And all of a sudden on a first day here. It's like hey this guy belongs. He's part of us. Because there's just this unity that we share in Christ. That, that the world can't understand. And I hope that you do. And that you cultivate that kind of rich fellowship. Because as our eyes are fixed on God, God's people so, so stir our hearts. But look, secondly, not only God's people, but look at others. Verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So some, of, some people, they are his delight, which he's going to be drawn to them. He's going to enjoy them, spend time with them. Other people, he's going to what? distance himself from he's not going to participate with them now it, it's the the idea is woven into the pagan practices of their lives but all that they're doing comes to nothing 
If you actually looked at this section in the Hebrew, which I encourage you to as soon as we're done, what you would notice is, is that it says here, our, our translations often say that um, the sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. The word God is not in the original. The word God is not in the Hebrew there. It's added because it speaks next of sacrifices. But the sense is simply this. The sorrow of those who run after other will only multiply. Everything else is in vain. What if a man says, oh, I'm going to get more riches. Let me go ahead and tear down and build new storehouses for all of my riches. Jesus, in that example of that man building new and bigger storehouses for his accumulated riches, says what? You fool! This night, your life is required of you. You've labored and labored and labored, worked towards, committed to, waiting for, and then it's gone. Finished. And how much are you taking with you? When you die... Can you fill your pockets and take it? Everything is exactly where it was. You don't, it, it has no abiding benefit. All of it ends. And, and what's interesting is this. You'll often find that those who have, and I speak this specifically to those, those who, who yet, yet hope that much of their life is ahead of them. Many times those who have in the purposes and kindness of God. Whether believer or not, anything anybody ever accumulates is only because of God's general grace and mercy. Uh, does that free them up from tensions? Does that guarantee the joy and success of their marriage? The funny thing is people say, you know what? You know what's the thing that breaks up most marriages? Fighting over money, not having enough money. Money struggles breaks up most marriages. That's an interesting thing to say. So, you're, so that means if you go among the exceedingly wealthy, their marriages always stay together? Is, is that how it works out? Like, no, actually even worse. Because the fact is, no one will ultimately find any abiding satisfaction in anything in this world. The way that it's stated throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is, is under that term, it is all vanity. And chasing after the wind. And that term vanity can be variously translated a mist or a vapor. You know, the idea could be somewhat like if you did, you're boiling a pot of water and there's mist coming up off it. And as a game, you gather everyone in the kitchen and you say, all right, in the next five minutes, whoever can gather the most vapor wins. How, who's winning? You keep putting it in your pocket. As soon as you close your hand and look, what's happened? It's gone. Everything in this world, everything that people put so much value and so much love on is ultimately nothing. Christ is our everything, our truest treasure. And so Basically, it's telling us the vanity of all else without God. And then it comes in behind that and we take up in verse 5, really, that I would say, the value of God Himself. 
above all else. So all else, vanity. And God valued above every. What will it, what will it benefit you if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? It says this in verse 5. Again, I'm gonna, I do have to give a little correction here. The ESV says the Lord is my chosen portion. The word chosen is not in the original here. Uh, it's not that it's the portion he has selected. The word there speaks more of choice or value. The Lord is my chosen. The Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. So the, the notion is this, it, it's all, and you would notice this is the language of the division of the lands, right? How was the land divided? The portion was allotted to each of the various tribes as the lot was cast, God would divide. And remember, the lot cast, in our minds, you cast the dice, it's random. But Proverbs makes it clear to us that when, uh, when you cast a lot, in Proverbs 16, man casts a lot, but it's every answer is from the Lord. We cast it in the lap, but God, God is in control of those things. So again, you, the Lord is my portion and my cup. I love that. So listen, it's not that I get my portion from the Lord. It's not just that. That's a reality. Everything that we have, every good thing, we say, I have no good apart from the Lord. But then there's another sense we step a little further and say, but nothing of the good that I have is as good as the Lord himself. So that if there had to be a choice between the two, I would say, you take the whole world, but give me Jesus. You can separate me, as has happened in the past, by imprisonment from those that I love. Right? You can separate me, even in those, that a dungeon scenario, from the delicacies and delights of the world that I enjoy. You can separate me from those things. You can separate my head from the body. You can separate my soul from my body, my spirit from my body. But you know what you cannot do? Separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. You can separate me from all of these things, but that treasure, that's, that treasure that I'm storing up in heaven, it is reserved for me. No moth, no rust, no loss. It is there. Oh, God is my portion. And this is what I want to urge upon us. Sometimes we look to God too much for the goodly things of this world. Brothers and sisters, I'm urging you to look past the goodly things of this world and say, God is better than all of this. He is my portion. I have him. I know him. And, and that helps a lot because maybe somewhere, someday, someone might say something unkind to you. They might say something ridiculing uh, your appearance or your, or your, or your height or, or, or your intelligence, ridiculing that, which can be hurtful, but I encourage you to recommend this, remember this. Yeah, yeah, I'm weak. Yeah, I'm not glorious. Yeah, I'm not mighty. Yeah, I don't have all wisdom. 
but I, by his grace, I have God. I am his, and he is mine. So every time you tell me I'm ugly, I'm stupid, every time you say that, I think, and yet I'm his. And if he would still have me, I'm all right. <laughs> he, was, he, he still set his love upon me. I can draw near to him, to the throne of grace. I draw near to God, and he draws near to me. He hears my prayers and answers. Yeah, okay. Bring it on. That just reminds me of how blessed I am at the hands of my God. Because the more you say, you're, you're not wise, you're foolish. I say, well, God chose not many wise, not many noble in this present world. To confound those that have those things. He chose the things that are nothing. To confound those who think they're something. So go ahead. Go further. Say, buddy, there's no good. You got no redeeming qualities. You'll never make anything of yourself. Amen. But God can do something with me. God can do anything with me. He pleases. And I'm his and I've got him. So have at it. You know. I mean, I'm not encouraging you to tell people to have at it. This is, some of it's hypothetical to, to get our frame of thinking right. My portion and my cup, which would often speak of the blessings that someone has received. My cup, surely goodness and mercy, overflows. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Now, not always. You would think he's running from Saul. He's running for his life. How have the lines fallen in pleasant places? The lines have fallen for every single one of us in pleasant places if we have God. Now, I've got to draw, draw this to an end, and we do so by coming to Christ. In Psalm 16, verse 8 and following, he takes up these words. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at the, my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. It, go, it just goes on to unpack these wonderful things. Verse 7 says, he gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart or my kidneys instruct me from within. God is at work within us. And I want you to know this. From verse 8 down through verse 11, this section is quoted in Acts chapter 2, verse 25 and following. So the rest of what we have here reminds us that all of these things that we're talking about, that God is our refuge, that, that we rest in Him, that He is our hope, all of these things have come to us because of Christ. That wonderful promise, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. That is speaking of Christ. Stated in Acts 2, again in Acts 13, it relates those things. So when I unpack this, it simply uh, unfolds like this. Because of the grace of God that is ours in Christ, verse 7, we have the guaranteed by the word and spirit that God guides, counsels, and instructs His people. We have the guarantee by the power of God that he, in verse 8 and 9, that he guards his people. We shall not be shaken. The enemy can come at us with all that he wants to, but God gives us the means that we can extinguish even the fiery darts that he would send our way. So he guards us. Remember 1 Peter 1.5 says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Oh, by God's power. So if I'm being guarded by God's power, let the devil and all his little demon friends and every evil person he can stir up, let them come. Can they overcome the power of God? No. So with regard to the grace of God in preserving my soul, by His grace, those of us who are in Christ, listen to this. 
We are, by the power of God, invincible to the enemy's attempts to separate us from the love of God in Christ. Can't happen. To steal our inheritance. Can't happen. He can't do it. Ultimately, in all of history, so no matter how hard the enemy has worked, he is the ultimate loser. He guides us, he guards us, he gave himself for us, and that he died and did not see corruption that speaks of him dying. And then it goes on to speak of what he will give to us. He gives to us a knowledge of the gospel. Even verse 11, he may, you make known to us the path of life. He gives to us in his presence, there's fullness of joy. There's a sense of his presence now where we have a joy and a peace that passes understanding. But oh, it's just a measure. It's going to get even more glorious than we. And so this give is he, what he gives now in part gladness, now in part joy, then in fullness in all of it. That it would end by saying this in verse 11, at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. How long? Forevermore. And so yeah... In this life, we may walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We may face famine, persecution, sword, peril, beatings and imprisonments. All of these things potentially could happen to us. But you know what? At his right hand, our pleasures evermore. This whole life is a passing vapor. It's not all about this. It's all about God. And so in simple reminder, Psalm 16 takes us of these things. Stir it up to reminder. Read this. Think of other verses on your own. Discuss it amongst yourself. This speaks of God and our continuing. He's the one who preserves. He's the one who provides. Speaks of God and our companions. His people. We love them and want to enjoy them. Those who aren't his people, we distance ourselves from them because all that they're about, it comes to nothing. It's just an empty, vain pursuit and won't bring any abiding joy, but only sorrow. Thirdly, God and our contentment, we value him above all else. He's our portion. He's our cup. And whatever's going on, he holds my lot. Today's a dark day. He holds my lot. Has it been a hard year? He holds my lot. He can turn it around or he can leave it so, but I know what he has reserved for me. And what he has reserved for me, he has reserved in Christ Jesus. Guarantees to be my guide spiritually and internally. Guard my soul. He gave himself for us and he gives us knowledge. He gives us gladness. He gives us peace. He gives us hope. He gives us life. And he gives us pleasures at his right hand forevermore. Do we have a great God? Amen. Let's pray.